Partika would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners of the land we record on, the Wadjuk people. We also acknowledge the role of Aboriginal people as the first scientists in Australia. Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. I'm your host, Rose Kerr, and today I'm so excited to say we are joined by Michael Massinio, aka Mike's Mike. He's an engineer turned YouTuber who hails from Perth and swears data has been the secret to YouTube. We chat about lasers, space travel, and whether YouTube is in fact a STEM career. All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Starting off, what do you do? Well, it's actually quite complicated. First question. So I am technically a mechanical engineer. I have all the qualifications for that. At the moment, I'm actually doing nothing engineering related. I'm in a little bit of a career break and I'm a full-time content creator. That is insane. And also the dream career of any like tween or yeah, teenager. Yeah, very much enjoying it. So, <laughs> Have you gotten to kind of drop it to anyone and then just be like, that's not real. You're actually just unemployed. Or <laughs> well, sometimes like, actually this is, this is very relevant and very recent. Someone paid for a cameo from Abby Lee Miller for me for my birthday, which was yesterday. Happy birthday That's to me. That's amazing. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, and in it, they must have told her that I was a YouTuber. And she was like, content creation is not a real job. You know what's a real job? <laughs> Running a dance studio. And I was like, I mean, true. Yeah. But the attack wasn't necessary. You're no also way. a content creator, Abby. But um, yeah, so sometimes people think that it's not a real job. They think that I'm getting paid like millions a day. I'm like, <laughs> it's very much not the case. Oh. But um, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying what I'm doing. So. Yeah, good. Yeah. We will absolutely pick up with the YouTube stuff because I have just so many questions. Yeah, sure. But before that, thinking about how you got into your initial career. Yeah. Have you always enjoyed science? Yes, I would say yes. So during primary school, I was very much one of those STEM kids loved science, loved maths. English, I was kind of like, I'll do it because it gets me places, <laughs> but it, I don't find it that interesting. Mm. I'm like spelling, at the end of the day, who needs it? Probably <laughs> me. But um, I, every time someone asks me this question, I'm always like, oh, I always loved Lego. Mm. And that made me want to put things together and take things apart, which mm -hmm. is true. And then into high school, I took the subjects that kind of led me towards sciencey stuff. Originally, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I can't stand the sight of blood. Oh, that's not going to work. I was, I was playing a video game on stream and someone had to give me a trigger warning that someone's going to vomit because I just can't handle <laughs> like, looking at that kind of stuff, even if it's CGI. <laughs> um, but then I ended up heading into engineering and then did a couple of degrees in that. And then I kind of found which avenue I wanted to go and mixed it up. But I'm sure you have questions about corporate engineering or yeah. that kind of stuff. So. I can't even imagine like what... Because I have a lot of friends who did engineering mm -hmm. and I, the way I understood was they design things, they make things. That yeah. was about as far as my understanding went. Yeah. What does a day in the life of kind of the corporate side of engineering, yeah. what's it actually like? Well, I guess there's kind of two versions because I was in consulting engineering. So a lot of dealing with people, but I've also interned in very engineering specific work where I'm not really talking to people and I'm just sitting at a computer designing stuff like modeling things the stuff that I've been doing recently is the corporate consulting engineering and a typical day while I was in the office while I could see people it would be get to work have a coffee coffee is the thing <laughs> in corporate you oh. want to talk to anyone you have a coffee okay you want to get anything out of anyone you have a coffee with them um, so I'd have a coffee and then I'd sit down attend a couple of meetings for the day and then because I was doing a lot of uh, software engineering to do with websites I'd be liaising with designers and then back-end developers because I was kind of in the middle I was front-end so it's functional front-end so making the designs do what the back-end wants it to do basically and hooking things up to databases and all that so a lot of what I used to do was get requirements and then hook things up so talking to the client then talking to the designers and then talking to the engineers and putting it all together. When you say front end, does mm -hmm. that mean literally what you're seeing on the screen? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so front end, it kind of branches into a lot of different areas. So you can have mobile specific designs. I was focused more on browsers. So um, I can say this, I worked on the Regional Roads Victoria website, all those kinds of things, lots of government projects. I also worked on some dashboards for some secret stuff that I can't mention. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed that kind of thing. Data visualization is really cool, especially when you 
find out how much data goes into what you see. So I think a good example of that would be, well, you see all these COVID charts and everything and the amount of data behind it and then what they pick and how they pick it to show what you want to show. It's insane. It's really cool. But that's such a nerdy so thing to like. <laughs> I love data and I love to show data, but it's true. Yeah. So. Given that, you know, you make YouTube videos mm -hmm. and you're obviously quite a creative person. Mm, thank you. Oh, obviously. Um, <laughs> how do you deal with being in a corporate environment? Yeah. Was that weird? Well, okay. So everything kind of happened at the same time. So I started working, well, I graduated uni middle of 2018, mm -hmm. but I was doing internships before that. But my YouTube channel only really started taking off about September last year, when I was already about a year into my job. Some people knew about it. People my age would know about it because I talk about it a lot. Mm. But then if I was on a team with some seniors and that kind of stuff, I wouldn't really mention it. Yeah. There was a few times where um, someone would recognize me. Oh, my which God. Which so bizarre. Yeah. Like, just imagine you're a young software engineer and you're at the <laughs> client office and then someone comes up to you like, hey, are you Mike's Mike from YouTube? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> my identity has been compromised. <laughs> but everyone was super cool about it. I made a point at the start of my YouTube channel to split the two. Mm. So I will mention things that I do, but I'll never go into detail about the people that I work with yeah. or the company that I work for, all that kind of stuff. Because mm. it's, it's different. Yeah, well, when we're, I don't know, I imagine we went through high school at quite a similar time, mm -hmm. I'm guessing. At school, we were always told, don't have anything on social media. You'll never get a job. Mm -hmm. If your boss can Google you, your career's over. Yeah. Is that true? I mean, I'm the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it is true. There are some people that are in the social media space that you can definitely tell haven't been in a professional or corporate environment, which is fine. It's not mm. for everyone. But sometimes I think, see things and I'm like, yeah, if I was your boss and I saw that, I'd think, mm, this is interesting, like sharing everything with everyone. But it's totally up to the person who's making the content and what they want to talk about and what the limits are. Some jobs say, talk about whatever you want. You can mm. talk about the work that you do. And then that comes down to a personal decision. And then for me, it was, I'd like to separate the two. Yeah. Because a lot of what, how I run my, my own podcast and my YouTube channel and Twitch and everything like that and my own brand, I try and keep them in silos. So if something goes wrong in one of them, mm. then I can keep operating the other ones. Yeah. If everything's interchanged all the time, then if one thing goes wrong, then everything can go wrong. Yeah, totally. So it's more about insurance, I guess. Thinking about how, you know, in your creative side of your career, you mm -hmm. have to have a personal brand. Mm -hmm. Are any of those kinds of skills, do you think, beneficial back in the corporate engineering world? For sure. Because... As much as it sucks, the way that it works when you meet someone is how you present yourself online and in person mm. is what they see before they even talk to you. So if you're emailing someone and your emailing is like really casual and everything, that's what they're expecting when they see you. So kind of preparing yourself for what you want them to see you as, that's probably one of the things that I've ported over from YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You're not just out here sending everyone Dance Moms memes no. before. <laughs> Only emails. specific people get the Dance Moms memes. Lucky people. Yeah. When you meet people, mm -hmm. we'll think about maybe when you were still yep. working in the corporate uh, engineering firm. Would you, if you met someone new, would you say, hi, I'm Michael and I'm a YouTuber engineer, human being. Mm. What do you, what would you have gone for? Hmm. Good question. I would probably, I don't actually mention the YouTube stuff until a little bit in. Mm. There was a ton of projects that I worked on and nobody knew a thing. Yeah. I was just like, an engineer that sometimes get to work five minutes late and look really <laughs> tired. Why is he so tired? You never know. Is he running a cartel? We don't <laughs> know. Um, but then there were some projects where everyone already knew and then someone from the client would recognize me and it'd just be something that we would talk about. But yep. the two things would never really intersect beyond that. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point actually, that it wouldn't necessarily interfere yeah. with your day-to-day -day work. How yeah. on earth did you balance them though? Clearly not well if you're super tired. Uh, the, <laughs> I would say the start of this year, I kind of had it under control, but then because I was working in Melbourne and then I came back to Perth during the 5-2, which they refer to <laughs> COVID-19, um, I was working Melbourne hours, so it was like two hours difference and then it was three hours difference. Mm -hmm. But then the thing with YouTube is it's so US centric, especially if you analyze the data, mm. which is what I did and how I became successful, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, 
you have to be available for the audience that watches you the most, and that's the US and the UK. Yeah, wow. And the prime time for that is early morning for Perth mm-hmm. and a little bit later in Melbourne. So sometimes in Melbourne, I would post at 7, 8 a.m. and it'd be fine. So I'd be up anyway. But in Perth, I'd have to be up at 2, 3 a.m. Oh. replying to comments and that kind of stuff. And then I'd start work at 7, which sucked a little bit. Yeah. But it was fine up until a point and then it wasn't fine so I quit <laughs> yeah which is completely fair I have no idea I honestly don't think I could do that for one day let alone however many months that you did it the thing is I like having something to do so <laughs> when you're meant to be sleeping <laughs> sleeping's boring I've said this so many times I'm like if I didn't have to sleep I'd be so productive yeah the amount of things I'd be able to do That's imagine true. being able to work 24 hours I mean no one wants to but work on different things yeah I, I don't feel like YouTube is work mm. But it technically is because it's what I do for money. Yeah. But then if I could do that 24 hours, just the quality of the videos, you know, it'd be insane. <laughs> a 24-hour stream? Sure, why not? Oh, Katy Perry did it. You're next. Exactly. And <laughs> that kind of destroyed her brand, so maybe that wouldn't be good for no, me. No, I really wouldn't. But it's on the horizon, maybe, so. <laughs> when you first started your channel, mm-hmm. you're obviously still at university. Yeah, final year. Why? Why? Why'd you start? Well, I used to watch a lot of YouTube. So I would go to the library. I had friends. Let's just preface that I had friends. I do have friends now, but I don't have as many friends as people think. People mm. think that I'm like, oh, you must have so many friends. How do you have time to do all this stuff? Because everyone wants to talk to you. <laughs> Not really true. But at uni, I would, because I live quite far away from the university in Perth. So I would go for the whole day. Mm. Even if I had a couple of classes, I would go in the morning and then go to the library and do work. And then I just watch YouTube videos in my time off during lunch and that kind of thing. And I thought... Why can't I do this? Yeah. Like, these people, they seem reasonable, like, personality-wise, but, like, that's it. Yeah. So, I thought, why don't I just give it a go? And it didn't really go anywhere for a few years. Pretty much the whole time I was at uni, it didn't really go anywhere mm-hmm. because I'd post, like, every couple of months. Yeah. Because, obviously, uni was the focus. But then once I moved to Melbourne and I had, like, as many friends as I could count on one hand <laughs> and they were all busy all the time. Yeah. So I'd be like, I may as well just post one video a week and see how it goes. Mm. And then it just kind of escalated from there. Yeah. I do like mm. the way that when you talk about your YouTube growth, it's not just, oh, I was like making stuff and one day it just happened by chance. Absolutely not. Yeah. Could you talk us through a little bit about how you, you game the system? How did you win okay. YouTube? They kind of just give you everything you need to do it. It's... Everyone's like, how do you manage to get <laughs> successful on YouTube? I'm like, just read the data. Like, <laughs> not, not everyone can read the data. That's a good point. And no point. one wants to. The data is available though. Yes. And it's free and it's easy to read. Mm. It's just you need to know what to look for. Yeah. So the thing with YouTube is it's all about money for them. Mm-hmm. So if you work out how YouTube makes money, then you can work out how to push your own content and then how to maximize your own growth. So I worked out pretty early on that YouTube maximizes watch time because... The longer you're watching, the more likely you are to watch an ad. Mm -hmm. So then they make money when you make money. Everybody wins. So I worked out how to increase my retention time. So what percentage of the video people are watching. And then based off of that and what kind of content people were responding to, then I'd kind of hone into those areas, which is how I ended up talking so much about reality TV. Because I watched so much reality TV growing up. Yeah. My mum and I would just watch anything. We'd be like, ANTM? Sure. Yeah. You know how people do the personality quizzes? It's like ENTJ. My personality type is ANTM, basically. <laughs> but I had such like a library of yeah. things that I could refer to in reality TV. So thanks, mum. Yeah. My mum was really into Amazing Race. Oh, yeah. We really wanted to apply for Amazing Race. Yeah. But then the 5 2, so that kind of ruined everything. But maybe in a couple of years. Um, and then she was also into Rock of Love and all those oh, wow. trashy dating shows. Yeah. Such good content for YouTube. It's so good. So then uh, people would respond to those. So I'd mm-hmm. post about those. And then I'd also kind of bring in the engineering side and sometimes talk about data. Mm-hmm. So there was a video that I did where I talked about the van girl. Mm-hmm. Do you remember her? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, With so the snake. The girl with the snake yeah. and the van. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, there was a girl who randomly out of nowhere suddenly got 10 million views on her first video and then 10 million on the next one and the next and people one. people were like, oh my God, it's a conspiracy. She's a brand. They she's like, like, she's a, an AI. Yeah. She's not real. <laughs> That's one of the things that I say about myself because I've never actually collaborated with another YouTuber in person. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, you don't know if I'm real or not. I could be an advanced AI. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> I mean, you could only hope. Um, so then I did a bunch of analysis into how she came up and all the data behind that and people found that interesting. So sometimes I talk about that mm. kind of stuff. So... Yeah. That is an extremely 
engineer's way to look at YouTube. The, the engineering knowledge that you pick up from university and high school, it's so applicable. It's just problem solving. Yeah. If you know how to problem solve, you can solve pretty much any problem. Unless it involves people. Because <laughs> people just ruin everything. <laughs> too, yeah, you can't data that. That's too hard. No, yeah. How then do you feel about... On YouTube, there's a lot of people who just talk absolute rubbish mm. and talk about things that have no basis in science. Mm-hmm. There's They are just saying absolute shit. Yeah. Mm. How, as someone who understands <sighs> science and thinks a bit more about what he's saying, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, a little bit. Yeah. How does that make you feel to be on that same platform? Um, it depends. If they're talking about things that have no... Like, it doesn't mean anything. Hmm. Like, sometimes you see drama on YouTube and it's like, I couldn't care less. Yeah. This actually has no meaning or anything. It has no consequence from this. But if it's someone promoting, like, flat earth flat earth theory, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what? Yes, it gets clicks, which results in money, but it's so selfish because there are people who are watching you that don't understand mm. that you're being sarcastic or making a joke. Uh, I think when YouTube started becoming more about making money than making content, then it kind of went down a little bit Mm. in terms of respectability. I just tend to stay away from that content. I've used the block button more than once (laughs) and I'll use it again. Yes, watch out. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? Because something, I only recently joined TikTok because I'm... I love TikTok. 25. It took me a while to warm up to it. 25 twins as of (laughs) yesterday. I mentioned my birthday twice now. (laughs) Yeah, welcome to the club. We've got, you know, random back pain. Um, Halfway to 50. Oh, which is a fun oh, start. I really wish you hadn't <laughs> said that. Closer to 30 than 20. Mm, I hate that one too. <laughs> but I think 30 would be good for me. Because I was a bit of a late bloomer. I was yeah. the shortest person in my school in year 10. Oh, so I was shorter than all the year Disrespectful, honestly. Yeah, and then I kind of shot up later in life. And I'm like, I feel like I'm still growing. I could be seven foot by 30. <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. Would you go back? Would it feel better to go back to your... High school reunion with like a million subs or be seven foot tall? Ooh, <laughs> that's such a good question because I went to an all boys school. Okay. It was very sporty. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you were tall and muscly, you ruled the school. Yeah. And I was short and fat. So oh. it was the complete opposite. So if I turned up and I was seven foot and had a million subscribers, oh, no Game survivors. Over. Everyone Game be like, wow. How do you feel about traditional media? Because mm. kind of that reality TV space is becoming quite, uh, I don't know, it's like the main thing on traditional media and on, say, free-to-air TV. You're in the YouTube space, what older people deem, like, newer media. Yeah. How, yeah, what do you think about it? How do you, is it going to die out? Um, I don't think it's going to die out. I totally get it when people are like, ugh, YouTubers, what are they even doing? They make too much money for doing not much. And I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. Because I'm like, I put a lot of effort into my videos, but I see people who just as you said, just talk smack on YouTube.com. How is she? She makes so much money. (laughs) She does make a lot of money. And I think these people make more money than you realise, which is like all power to them if that's how they want to approach things. But with traditional media, I feel like there's more a basis in fact and reality to a point. Mm. Because a lot of content on free-to-air TV is like news or sometimes there's science programs. And I I like that kind of stuff. Um, The reality TV thing, that's another one of the things where it's become popular, so then now they're just kind of wringing it dry and seeing how far it can go. So I think reality TV is kind of on the way out. Mm. I'm feeling a shift yeah. in the air, and it's heading towards reality TV being replaced by YouTube content. Mm. Because when people watch vlogs and that kind of thing, it's almost like a reality TV show, and it's yeah. unscripted. Yeah. Because people are picking up more and more on scripted reality TV and all that kind of thing, which is fun. If that's what you're looking for. Yeah. But people are looking for real things. Mm. So that's why they go to vlogs and that kind of content. But traditional media, yeah, love it. Don't think it's going to go anywhere. Bit sad that all the cinemas closed because I love going to the cinema. So then that kind of media of going and watching something in person yeah. with other people, that kind of dying out sucks. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the fact that everything is progressing towards online means that everyone can take part, which yes. means that everyone can profit. So. Yes, that's good. Yeah. Normally, back in the day, when YouTubers were getting more popular, Mm. they would move into sometimes traditional media or Mm -hmm. some kind of project through traditional media. Is that something you aspire to do? Well, okay. So, my goal since the beginning of university was I want to be an aerospace engineer. Oh, amazing. That's like I still 100% want to do that. And I have this idea in my head that at some point, I will just stop uploading on everything and just disappear. (laughs) 
that's like that's my 100% my plan amazing do a Jenna Marbles and just disappear yeah, from the literally. internet because you kind of just there's three things that could go wrong or th- three possible paths on the internet is you just k- keep increasing in popularity. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example. I'll go back to that one. Oh, Mr. Beast. Yeah. Mr. Beast, he's super popular. just keeps getting popular. Or PewDiePie. But he kind of links into the next one, which is getting cancelled. Mm-hmm. So you could be doing really well and then something could go wrong or someone would dig up something that you said 10 years ago and then that's it. You yeah. could be done. And then the other one is you don't do anything wrong, but people just don't care anymore. Yeah. And then you just fade out of existence. Yeah. So a lot of really big YouTubers from the early 2010s, they didn't do anything wrong, but no one watches their content anymore because mm. they're just not interested. I assume no one watches Zoella anymore. I don't You'd know if be surprised. True. My yeah. sister watches every upload. Wow. And she gives me Zoella updates. Oh, what so is she up to? <laughs> she's just living her best life, Good. to be honest. She's another one that maximised by looking at what people wanted to watch, mm. she honed in on how she could monetize that in terms of content and also off-screen products and that kind of thing. The YouTuber brands is like a whole another kettle of fish. Yeah. It's so interesting. Do you think YouTubers are smarter than we realize? I think... Mm. <laughs> what do I think? I think the team behind the big YouTubers... Yeah. People have teams for a reason. So it gets to a point where... The stuff that do, people do outside of YouTube is more lucrative for them than the people yes. that, than stuff they do on YouTube. So that's why big YouTubers like James Charles and what's another example, PewDiePie mm. or whatever, they have teams yeah. that help them manage all their extra things. Because there's 100% James Charles will make more money off his palettes and oh, his yeah. merchandise than his YouTube videos. So it's about the team behind the videos just as much as it's about the person in front of the camera. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever needing a team? I kind of have a little bit of a team. Cool. I mean, everything content related is just me. Yeah. As you can tell, because sometimes <laughs> I'm like just uploading stuff and people are like, what is he doing? Why is he lying <laughs> on the floor? Like what, who would green light this? But um, I did, just me. It's yeah, just me. I am the full creative team <laughs> and I make all the executive decisions. Um, but then I'm also working on setting up a brand because my sister's a fashion designer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I like fashion. She has the qualifications. Mm-hmm. So we've designed a whole bunch of stuff, but then manufacturing it and shipping it is really tricky, mm-hmm. especially from Australia. So I'm working with a couple of people in the UK to set that up. That is so exciting. Which is really cool. Yeah. But it's, it's recently picked up in the last couple of months. So I left my job mm. and I was like, yay, career break. I can relax. <laughs> I can get seven hours of sleep now. No, I just kind of filled the gap. And I think that comes from engineering at university. Okay. Because I just had no life, no time to do anything. (laughs) I was just always doing something. Yeah. And now I just can't relax. Did you enjoy university? Yeah. I did. Mm. But I think hindsight is making me think I enjoyed it more than I did. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. The amount of times while I was just having an absolute breakdown, driving home at 2am from Reed Library. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But looking back at it, it was a good time in terms of the people that I studied with. Mm. One thing that I realized both at university and both in corporate, it's like who you work with is just as important as what you're doing. Yeah. Because once the people, this is one of the reasons why I left my job. Once the people were kind of removed from the situation, you're just left with the work. And it's like, do I actually like this? Yeah. Do I see myself doing this? Mm. And that's part of the reason why I left. But then university... I really enjoyed it because I studied mechanical engineering. I really liked my thesis topic. My thesis group was awesome. Had a bunch of friends doing the same thing. And yeah, I, can't, I, I definitely miss the thesis part of it. So. Yeah, okay. I don't think I've had anyone say that yet. I miss my <laughs> thesis. There you go. <laughs> I know that you do enjoy talking about your thesis. 100%. And you did, did you do miss your thesis? thesis? Yeah. Thesis. My thesis. thesis. <laughs> Could you tell us what your thesis was? Sure. So my thesis topic, well, keep in mind that I studied mechanical engineering. So my master's was engineering, specializing in mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. My thesis was free space laser links. What is that? It sounds cool, right? It sounds like It was actually cool. With just lasers shooting out around them. I mean, basically, it was in a dungeon because it was like lasers that would hurt your eyes. So you have to go to this special room and wear glasses and shoot lasers. What? I'm being 100% serious. How I actually chose the topic was I had the document of thesis things. It was like 200 pages long. Control F laser. <laughs> and there was like a few. And I was like, because I love lasers. Oh my God, I love amazing. light and all that kind of stuff. So I found that one. 
went to the interview. This is because I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I don't need to interview for a master's yeah. in. I mean, you don't have to. Oh, for but lasers. I mean, like, if you want to make a connection and talk about the stuff, and they get a feel for you being excited about it, then yeah. why wouldn't you? So do it for the lasers. Do it for the lasers. Yeah. That, that should be a slogan that I can put on a shirt. <laughs> mm, my business mind is ticking. <laughs> I um. So what I'd be doing is going up to specific rooms in high buildings around the campus and mm. shooting lasers and like timing responses and that what? kind of stuff. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Well, okay. Now it makes a lot more sense why you missed your thesis. You're yeah. playing with lasers. Yeah. I felt so cool as well. Like I'd be like <laughs> at some crusty engineering lecture and everyone's like, oh, I have to go run a test on flow through a pipe in the water lab. And I'd be like, hmm. I actually have to go shoot some lasers <laughs> from the top of the medical building. Um, but the actual science behind it was really cool. And it was one of the things where electrical engineering scares me. It's so confusing to me. It's definitely the hardest thing that I ever did at uni. And this was kind of the intersection of mechanical and electrical. So kind of having the knowledge of the mechanical side and learning about electrical while doing my thesis was really cool. Mm-hmm. But that also made it really hard. Um, so basically the research was timing the responses and then working out how to change the behavior of the beam to minimize the delay. Oh, okay. So it'd be like a feedback loop. Yeah. And then you change things in the loop to increase or change things. Frequency. I'm just kind of just saying words now, <laughs> but it, it would basically trying to work our way around wavefront aberrations, which is stuff that appears in front of the laser, okay. which could be actual physical things or behavior from the air. Like mm-hmm. a hot day behaves differently to a, a cold day. We'll shoot lasers later at night because there's less stuff in the atmosphere. Can you see it? Like, can you see the yeah. laser? Yeah. Oh. But that's part of the reason why we had to go to the high buildings because it's the type of laser where if you looked into it, it might damage your eye. Mm. It was very low chance that it would actually damage your eye. But then lasers have a very strict safety protocol as they should. Yeah. So then that's why we'd have to do it at very specific points. But, yeah. I can't mm. believe all this time. When would you have been doing that? 2018. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All this time, people walking around uni, unaware. You're up there, lasers shooting. Yeah, shooting campus. lasers and nobody knew. What's now the application for that kind of technology? So um, this is actually the coolest part about it. It's my favourite thing about my thesis was the first sentence. The first sentence <laughs> I was talking about. <laughs> I spent so long making this first sentence in my thesis. But basically I was saying that this research will help space communication because... Uh-huh communicating from the ground to satellites this kind of technology helps make that signal stronger or clearer yeah and more efficient less data loss yeah all that kind of thing and then also satellite to satellite i pretty much just love space yeah so the fact that i got to talk about lasers in space was really cool and that's why i want to get back to aerospace engineering yeah what is do you think the pathway to become an aerospace engineer in Australia, just waiting. Really? Like, can everyone just get their shit together? <laughs> I want a job. No, um, the kind of jobs that I really want to do in aerospace are the design engineering mm-hmm. part of it, like a rocket design engineer. Oh, I mean, I want to be a rocket engineer. Yeah, I mean, come okay. on. Yeah. But there isn't really that, the space for that isn't very big in Australia. If I wanted to work for NASA, I can't. Yeah. Because okay. I'm not an American citizen. So I'd have to look in Europe, but obviously can't really work overseas right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of just taking a break and working on creative stuff until I see something that I really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Is it hard to get a job? Because there's so many engineers now. Yeah. I think when I was going into uni, they were really pushing the being an engineer. Yeah, big time. Because there weren't that many. But the thing in WA is a lot of the engineering jobs are mining Mm -hmm. and resources, which is cool. It just never really interested me. So that's part of the reason why I took the software engineering job, Mm -hmm. even though I did mechanical engineering. It let me go to Melbourne, meet some new people, make some new contacts. And then I think once I apply for the aerospace stuff, I'm well-placed because I have like the mechanical experience Mm -hmm. and then the corporate communication experience. Mm -hmm. Like you can't undersell how much people's skills are worth, especially in engineering, because it's kind of this expectation that if you're, a data engineer or if you're like a really technical engineer that you can't talk to people mm. which is kind of true yeah sometimes it is I'm gonna spill the tea on that one <laughs> but um i think if you can kind of talk to people then and you have the technical knowledge behind it then you're unstoppable just go for it <laughs> yeah you got it yeah so you also have your own podcast just yes. to add to the long list of things that you're making and doing yeah 
Why did you decide to do a podcast? So it kind of goes back to what you're saying about YouTubers just talking shit all the time. <laughs> because one of the things that I found was people were responding to my reality TV content and mm. like I would occasionally just mention my master's degree yes. in there and that, become a, that became a meme on my channel. <laughs> that I'd like mention every, ch- every chance that I had. But um, one of the things I wanted to do with my YouTube content was make it more general knowledge based, but mm. it didn't really match my channel because my channel is more commentary. So then I figured, why not just start a podcast? Yeah. So the podcast concept is things you want to know more about, but you can't be bothered researching them yourself. And the first season, the first 10 episodes, I was just kind of Googling as I did the episodes, which was fun, but it didn't really feel that organized. Mm -hmm. So then the season two, which is what I'm working on now, I do one topic per episode. And then, like, for example, it can be literally anything. So the first one was Deja Vu. Then I did facial recognition. And then last week was the Billboard Hot 100. Great. How that works. Which is crazy, by the way. Oh. I had just started the episode. I was listening to it yesterday. Oh, it's great. A true fan. The, <laughs> the, it's just insane how data literally drives everything. Again, yeah. we're back to the data thing. I love data. It's true. <laughs> you have to love it because let's yeah. be real, if you didn't, like, there's no escaping it. There are some people who do YouTube videos and they don't look at their data. And I'm like, <laughs> why? You could be yeah. maximizing what you're already doing. You don't even have to change anything. Yeah. You just kind of work out what people are responding to mm. and then do more of that. Were you surprised to see what people responded to most? I was surprised to see how my audience shifted. So when I was a very small channel, I did Survivor Australia videos. Mm-hmm. And then once I started talking about international reality TV shows, the change to US UK was almost immediate. Wow. And now US UK is 90% of my audience. Wow. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah, and there's some people who don't... I ask them, I'm like, where's most of your audience base? And they're like, I don't know. How do they, not know. Or even how you're just not interested. Yeah, I'm like, they give you so much data for free. I yeah. would pay for this data. <laughs> and they just give it to you for free. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very cool. And sometimes I, I've been thinking about making my own YouTube data dashboard. Because, like, I mean, we've got access to the API. Yeah, you could do I it. I can make a front-end dashboard. Why not just do it? I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> so. Would that be something only you'd be able to access? Yes. I think there's some kind of data share agreement with YouTube that if you are sharing information that only you are privy to, they can actually do something to your channel. Yeah, so that's okay. one of the reasons why people don't explicitly say how much money they make on YouTube because there's an Might actual be agreement. The contract, yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Mm. It is such a strange situation where like you're kind of employed by YouTube, like you're not really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very confusing. The creative life that I'm kind of in right now. So I went from having a set um, salary and hours and everything per month in the corporate jobs. And then this is kind of just what I put in is what I get out. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that I'll just keep working mm. if I have time, which is not good because you burn out <laughs> so quickly. Um, but the thing with content creation is you have to diversify because YouTube takes, I think it's 45% wow. of all the revenue. That's and then lot. if you compare it to Twitch, Twitch takes 50%. But then Patreon takes 8%. Wow. So it's kind of like you're just trying to work out what your priorities are mm. and how you want to marry the content with the money. Because at the end of the day, if people are doing YouTube for a job, then they have to make money. Yeah, of course. And there's like, there used to be a stigma around that. And yeah. I think there kind of still is. But I think people are more open to discussing online content creation as a career now. 100%. But it d- definitely does stress me out when people say that they're they don't want to go to university because they want to do YouTube. Mm. I'm like, there's no guarantee. You should always have some kind of backup. Even if you're not going to university and you want to work in retail or anything like that, that's totally cool. Just, it's really stresses me out when I see younger YouTubers, like 15, 16 year olds just dropping out of school to focus on YouTube. I'm like, hire an editor, hire an editor, get them to do the work and then you go to school. And because even with the whole, like, like you said, you could, you could be over tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. It could just, it could just collapse. And I, could, I couldn't, this, the situation could be that I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And the people just lost interest in what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. And then that's it. Yeah. Kaput. Yeah. How has it felt watching the channel grow? Because I cannot imagine like picturing more than say 200 people, you know, like I mm. can't picture mm-hmm. that many people engaging with me. Cause like your channel and your brand is, 
you yep. and it is like literally just you as we've talked about you're talking shit on youtube.com does that not feel weird <laughs> it definitely definitely feels weird at the start when i hit like 500 subscribers i could visualize that amount of people yeah i was like my school had this amount of people mm-hmm. so all these people are interested in what i'm saying which is cool <laughs> and then i think around about ten thousand is mm. when i was kind of like i can't visualize this no. anymore it's like a music festival. Yeah, I was like, a music festival just for me. How exciting, even though I can't sing. <laughs> so it'd be very interesting. But I, there was a video that I did around about 250,000 subscribers where I visualized 247,000 rats <laughs> or something like that. Like pictures of Remy from Ratatouille. Perfect. And I copied it 247,000 times into Photoshop just to visualize. No. And just that number and Mm-mm. just that visual just messed with my head. Yeah. And when you look at... See, 400,000, which is what I just hit on my channel, feels insane. It feels absolutely yeah. insane. And then I look at PewDiePie and he has 104 million. Nah, nah. He could overthrow nope. a country. <laughs> Literally. This podcast is proudly made by the Particle team. It's presented and produced by me, Rose Kerr. This week, filming and videography has been done by Rockwell McGellan and Michael Gatt. Thank you so much to Marlo Ray for final reviews. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment and share the podcast with a friend. We so appreciate all the love. Thinking about how you want to be an aerospace engineer. Mm. Do you remember the moment when you were just like, oh, I really love space. That's really cool. (laughs) Good question. Um, hmm. I've always been interested in kind of the night sky Mm -hmm. because since, as I said before, I live quite a bit out of the city, I can see the stars. In Melbourne, I can't see the stars because they're just smog. I'm like, everyone, can you just stop stop polluting (laughs) so I can see the stars, please? Thanks. Um, But then I just kind of went along the thought path of how do I get there? Or like, can you even get there? Yeah. And that kind of sparked my interest in space and then engineering. And then I kind of just put the two together and kind of formulated that path on how to get there. So... Hopefully I get there. Yeah. I mean, I could be 50 halfway there now. I could, get, <laughs> I could be 50 by the time that there's an actual engineering job in Australia that I would want to do. So for now, I'm just kind of chilling, yeah. which feels strange. Like I, have, I didn't take a break from end of high school to basically a month ago. Wow. Like I was working every holiday period from uni for internships and that, and then was either doing YouTube stuff on the weekends or whatever. So now it's just, it feels weird to have mm. a little bit of time off and not be doing engineering stuff, but... And the flexibility as well. Yeah, which is good and bad because it turns out that I'm a person that likes structure, which I yeah. didn't really know. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm like, does my workday start at 9am or does it start at 5pm? Yeah. <laughs> there would be a temptation to literally go straight into US time. Yeah, because especially with, because I do streaming now and most of my audience is US, UK, the best time is early morning. But I've kind of worked around it. I post or I'm online early Perth time, which is like 9am, which turns out to be 8pm in the States, which is perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And once I'm back in Melbourne, I think it'd be even better because 9am here is 12pm there. I know everything about time zones now. (laughs) Ask me a time at any time, I'd be like, boom, there you go. I got it. Yeah. Are you able to see like right down to the person, not necessarily who they are, but right down to the individual data point where people are watching? Yes, but it's probably not as useful. Yeah. Because... You obviously want to go to where the most people are. It depends what I'm looking at, though. Like, if I'm looking at overall trends, then countries specifically, that's good to know. But then if I'm looking at um, specific data points, YouTube gives you that data. I can go down to the specific person level, but they're just... At the start, when I didn't have that many data points, it'd be useful, Mm. but now it's not that useful. Because... YouTube and online behavior is predictable. So if you can kind of work out what the buckets of people, even though I just referred to people as in buckets, <laughs> the buckets of people. I've made very interesting statements on that. I love AI. Humans are annoying. But you put them in buckets. Yeah, like, I just love the data of people. No, but if you, each data point is a person and then each person has interests, but some people have similar interests, which mm. means the data points work together. Yeah. So that's how I think about it. There's something so fun about TikTok's algorithm compared oh, yeah. to YouTube. Yeah. Do you have much understanding of how they differ slash could explain it? So the YouTube algorithm, when I was doing all my research into that, there's actually papers on that published by Google, but they're from 2015, 2016. Interesting thing is when they publish them, 
it didn't really match with how the algorithm worked mm. because at that time it was more views focused, but now it's more watch time focused and that's what the paper suggested. And they go into detail about how the algorithms work and all that kind of stuff, which is really cool. The TikTok one is more friendly to new creators in the sense that it's a sampling algorithm. So it just gives your video to 10 people. Mm. Some of those might be people that follow you or some that don't. And then based on their interactions with it, do they like it? Do they comment? Do they share? How much of it do they watch? And then they send it to people with similar interests mm. if those people responded well. And then basically that's how video blows up. Yeah, wow. And then YouTube, it's kind of the same, but I think it's a case of YouTube wants to maximize watch time. TikTok isn't really bothered by that because YouTube, a TikTok doesn't put ads five minutes into a TikTok because no. a TikTok is 60 seconds max. Yeah. So they're trying to maximize exposure, mm. whereas YouTube's trying to maximize watch time. It'll be interesting to see if one of them stops being successful mm. as they both continue to go on. I think the whole ban thing with TikTok in the US, that would have made the monopoly even worse. Mm. So I think there's actually more behind the scenes with that, with that ban not actually going through. It's probably just something to do with fair competition because if TikTok goes, then it's just Facebook and yeah. YouTube and all the, and Twitter actually, and all the social media services are all trying to be each other. Mm. So everything has those short um, clips now. Yep. YouTube has like 15 second videos that you can post. You can post stories on YouTube. I didn't even know YouTube. that. I didn't that. Yeah. And then Twitter had fleets, mm -hmm. which is like stories. Um, so basically they're all trying to compete to be the one service that dominates everything, which is so scary. It's really strange. That's why I'm, I'm ready to like at some point shut everything down, go off the grid, be an engineer, <laughs> don't talk to me. At least it'll be like other engineers wouldn't even blink an eye. They'd be like, yep, that's a valid lifestyle. Yeah, well, he's a hermit that does engineering. <laughs> huh? That seems perfectly normal. Yeah. Yeah. All of that good work you put into social skills, all gone. Yeah. <laughs> How has your audience reacted when you've done a bit of science in your content, whether that be on YouTube mm. and in the podcast? Because it does have a little bit sometimes on YouTube, a little bit of science mm. edge. And the podcast definitely lends itself to science. Yeah. What do people think? What does the average person, do they enjoy it? Um, so when I did the data stuff on YouTube related to YouTube content, mm -hmm. it does well. Mm -hmm. So the van girl conspiracy and how you frame it is half the thing of it. So the information behind it and how you present it. So the title was van girl conspiracy. That sounds interesting. I want to click on that. Yeah. But if I said the data behind the Van Gogh rise, everyone would be like, I don't give a <laughs> shit about that. Yeah. That sounds crusty as hell. <laughs> so it's, it's how you sell it. But um, sometimes people just want to go on YouTube to watch something fun. So that's kind of what my brand is. It's yeah. just fun things. Talking mm -hmm. about fun things, funny things. I don't really, I'm not that serious on there. So when I go in and talk about data, it's hard to make data funny. Mm. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes it's funny. <laughs> but then on the podcast, I kind of sold it as more scientific, more mm -hmm. deep dive content. So that's what people are expecting and that's what they respond to. So, Have you enjoyed, you know, switching on that part of your brain? Yeah, it's the content. it feels nice to use that part of my brain. Um, but it's interesting because during uni, I kind of had to shut down the creative side mm. because it was so technical. And then during my job, I was lucky because I would liaise with designers all the time. So I got to use that design part of my brain. And now it's the other way. I yeah. use so much of my design brain and then don't use so much of the analytical brain, yeah. except when I'm doing the podcast. So that's why I like doing the podcast. I've got the feeling you're probably going to vibe with these questions quite a lot because these are our questionable questions. To start off with, if you were an element, what would you be and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay. Why have I already got an answer for this? But I feel like <laughs> I like carbon. Mm -hmm. I feel like carbon is one of the coolest names for an element. Yes. It's just so succinct. <laughs> like there was that, what was that? Altered Carbon on Netflix was a TV show. Yes, it was. And having carbon in the title just elevated it. Yeah. Because if it was like altered aluminium, I'd be like, no. I could not care less no, about this. No, that's just a can. Yeah. Rubbish. Exactly. And carbon's just like carbon. Yeah. So cool. So fresh, so fun. <laughs> but then also, I love steel obsessed Ooh. with steel yeah when i do videos talking about like house tours and that kind of stuff if a house has steel and glass i'm so there already You're there so like the elements that go into steel which is escaping me right now those elements are cool too okay great yeah i don't even know i didn't yeah. do chemistry past year 10 i got no idea <laughs> carbon yeah carbon's in it perfect carbon is my brand i yeah. think you knew that deep down <laughs> somewhere uh, deep down you knew that what would teenage mike think of current mike hmm 
I think I think I was pretty cool. Yeah. Because I was watching YouTube at that stage um, and channels my size I'd be watching. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm probably like, I'd probably thinking, where is where are you in terms of aerospace engineering? Like, why mm. are you not doing that already? You're old. <laughs> You're so crusty. Like, why aren't you already an aerospace engineer? But, um, yeah, no, I think I'd, I think I'd like it. Are you glad that you weren't a teenager now and starting your channel as a 15-year-old? Oh, 100%. I talk about this to, like, some YouTube friends uh, all the time. I think there should definitely be some kind of age limit because there's an age limit to when you can make a YouTube account mm. and comment on things and like posts and watch videos. But then the actual other side of it, once you start becoming successful, especially some of these channels that just go from 10 subscribers to a million subscribers mm. in like two or three months, the changes that come with that in terms of your audience, your income, your responsibility, all that kind of thing, I struggle with that and I'm 25. Yeah. So when I see people who are 16 or 17, like Charlie D'Amelio having 100 million followers on TikTok, I'm like, how is she coping with mm. that kind of stuff? It feels very reminiscent to when you would have disney channel oh yeah people and they'd act out mm -hmm. and everyone's like what is going on because it doesn't fit their family friendly vibe but just it's the same kind of situation of everything shifting so quickly and how does a young person's brain react to that yeah so i would say don't make a YouTube channel youtube channel until you're 18 <laughs> how old were you when you started i think i was what year are we we're 2020 i think yeah. i started in 2015 okay so 20 yeah responsible age yeah which reality tv show would you go on Ooh. Okay, depends on if I want to be successful mm -hmm. or if I want to just, like, have fun. Okay. Because if I want to be successful, I'd do Amazing Race. Yeah. I think that'd be so much fun. I'd also do Survivor. Oh, really? Because one of the things that you learn with online content creation is you need to know what to say to people. Yes. So, like, I could lie to people all day on Survivor. <laughs> I'd yeah. love to do that. That'd be so much fun. I've been yep. playing Among Us, so I know how to backstab. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think... In terms of good TV, I'd be good on Big Brother. Oh, yeah. But it wouldn't be good for the old brain. No. Because I'd go a little bit crazy. But I think it'd be good TV. I know we touched on it briefly, but how does it feel to be recognised? Ooh, this is a good one. So when it first happened, I was like, this is insane. This is so cool. A little bit spooky, but really, really cool. I still think it's cool, but sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming because... That's why I, I can't imagine what it's like for like Billie Eilish yeah. or people like that. They can't do anything without people seeing everything that they do. Um, I like it when people come up to me and say that they watch my videos. I don't really like it when people see me but don't tell me and then message me <laughs> on some social media network. Oh, and they're like, weird. I can see you on the tram. <laughs> that is scary. That. <laughs> that is scary. That happened once and I was like, let me just get off this tram Literally. right now. But then usually everyone's nice and come up and have a chat and that's totally cool. But... um. Yeah, it's that other side of it of people know knowing more about me than yeah. I know about them. Yeah. It's like a power imbalance thing. It took me a while to get used to, but I think I'm good with it now. Because so. who, who is your main demo who watch you? My main demographic is 18 to 24-year-olds. Actually, they get older as I get older, which oh, makes good. sense because people do, in fact, age. <laughs> it checks out. Unlike you as an AI. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm going to be 25 forever. At least I kind of <laughs> wish I was 21 forever, not 25. 21? At least now I can rent a car. Yeah. Couldn't do that before. Cheaper insurance. So true, yeah. Actually, I don't even have a car, so it doesn't really matter. No. But if I get a car, the insurance will be cheaper. Um, yeah, so 18 to 25-year-olds from the US. And at the moment, 75% female. Wow. Yeah, the content shift. So once I went from Survivor Australia to normal reality TV to general commentary, mm -hmm. now it's 75% female, whereas mostly male. Did and with that, that shift, everyone's nicer. Hmm, oh, funny that. <laughs> yeah, that is. Mm, who would have guessed? As a, someone who's worked in software development, mm -hmm. what app or website elements irrationally annoy you? Ooh, irrationally. Yeah. Rationally, I would say <laughs> the ad, like the screen ads that come up oh, on yeah. sites. I know how to get rid of them. I mean, I can give you that information. <laughs> you just inspect elements, select it, find the overflow hidden, unclick it, and it will go away. Oh, that's a I did it on stream once. It was fun. Oh. Um, but irrational? Something to do with mobile versions of desktop websites that aren't built for mobile. Mm. So, like, sometimes you go onto a website and you have to scroll yes. across the thing or the fonts don't match or everything. Just actually, here we go. Got it. The one that 
you're on a mobile website and some pop-up comes up and you can't get rid of it, yeah. but you're at the bottom of a form and you can't click continue. Yes. So annoying. What do I do now? Yeah. I have to load it on a browser. That's on my desktop. Annoying, I don't have a computer nearby and I need to submit this form <laughs> right now. Disaster. I hate that. So annoying. What is your dream sponsorship? Oh, NASA. Oh. I don't even know why NASA would sponsor me. <laughs> But they will one like, day. Maybe they'll be like, we need to send someone to the moon. We need to send someone to Mars. Send me, NASA. NASA, send me. <laughs> like when Lady Gaga nearly went to the moon to promote her art pop album <laughs> in 2015, <laughs> that could be me. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's Look one of my favorite things. Album. The fun fact about that, this is not my actual fun fact, but fun fact, Lady Gaga was supposed to go to space in 2015 to promote her art pop album, <laughs> but the ship that they were going to send her on exploded on the test before she went. <sighs> Thank God she did not go. What would I do without oh, Lady Gaga? What would any of us do? We wouldn't have anything released after 2015 from Lady Gaga. So stressful. Would you rather NASA sponsor you mm. or Elon himself? Hmm. Good question. NASA. Oh. Because I would say NASA doesn't have their flagship social media person. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, if you think of SpaceX, you think about Elon Musk. Yeah. You think about NASA, you think about NASA, they could think no. about me. <laughs> yes, they need a e face. Exactly. I could be the face of NASA, even though that would never work because I'm not an American citizen. They should branch out. Oh, it annoys me so much that I can't work at those American companies because it's, space stuff is technically classified as weapons. Whoa. So you need a weapons clearance, which you can't get unless you're an American citizen. That seems silly. But it, it kind of does make sense because rockets, at the end of the day, use the same technology as weapons. Yeah, I know. It's just really easy to get weapons in the US. Yeah. So they're like, you're Australian. Mm -mm. It's like, why are you being selective about this? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> What's the best part about like YouTube perks? Okay. So YouTube perks, I actually haven't had that many. Okay. <laughs> there are some people who really maximize that stuff and they take some brand deals. Um, like I get brand deal offers almost every day. Wow. And some of them are like really, really well paying. You'd be surprised how much these brands pay. I'm like, where is this budget coming from? But it, it is coming. Um, but then I don't take sponsorships from services or brands that I don't use myself mm. or I wouldn't be interested in using because mm -hmm. it feels inauthentic to me. Probably the coolest thing coming out of having a bigger YouTube channel than I did is the, you don't know who's watching. Yeah. You know who followed me on TikTok the other day? Rebecca Black. <gasps> That's the dream. I love Rebecca Black. Same. Oh, she's, I freaked out. Oh. I was like, wait, the Rebecca Black? And then I saw the green tick and I was oh like, my God. that is Rebecca Black. Oh my God. So you could DM her if you really I could, to. but I don't know what to say. Oh, that I is like a that. readily available opportunity. Wow. There's like a few people like that, that I'm huge fans and they've followed me and I can message them, but I don't know what to say. So I just don't. I think I'd like cry. But like, what do I say to Rebecca Black? I hi, don't know. hi, big fan. I love you. She'd, she'd get that every day. <laughs> Literally. Being a software developer, the working with I am, yeah. <laughs> working with the data that we mm -hmm. love, mm -hmm. is it strange then working with something that's so dictated by the algorithm? Yes, but an algorithm is just a tool, and if you know how to use that tool and being a software engineer means I know how to use that tool, then you can just unlock so much information. And as I said before, the biggest thing, the most transferable skill from being an engineer or having like a STEM background is problem solving. Mm. So if I have a problem statement that I form in my head and the problem statement is like, I want to maximize my views in this country, mm -hmm. then I can look at what those people are responding to and then work out how to follow and do that and get the result that I want. So. I do feel a little bit powerful having like the software engineering data <laughs> background. I'm like, I could export this data and do my own stuff with it and find out some insight that they're not giving me. Mm. So You could yeah. probably work in customer insights with that kind of knowledge. I kind of did. Really? At my last job, yeah. It was like using uh, customer data to influence how they interact with website interfaces and then like working out where they're clicking and how we fix those components. Yeah. Is YouTube then a STEM career? I would say, Yeah. I actually it can I mean, be. Um, yeah. At base level, no. Mm. Because you don't need to have a STEM career to talk in front of a camera. But if you want to take the route of maximizing your audience by using the data, having a STEM background is very, very useful. But then at the same time, you just hire someone to do it for you. Mm. So. And that person will have the STEM skills. Exactly. But there's, yeah. at some point, STEM skills come into play. Um, but then, like, in terms of the algorithm stuff, 
people just say algorithm and then they just move on with their day. I'm like, <laughs> you refer to anything as an algorithm. That is not what the algorithm does. Yeah. Sometimes I see people on YouTube, on Twitter and YouTube talking about how YouTube is stunting my oh, yeah, every time. stuff. I'm blacklisted, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, people just don't care. Like, sorry to say, <laughs> it's because people care. have lost interest mm-hmm. and you need to pivot to what people want to watch or what they want to listen to. Yeah. So when people like blame the algorithm like this is not some kind of advanced ai it's not like a robot like interface thing from iron man that sits in a lab at youtube headquarters and it just sits there picking videos and people to blacklist that's not how it works it's like you just gotta use the tool it's a tool at the end of the day so working out what you want to get out of it is the big thing are you scared of being cancelled um i mean if i had done something cancel worthy then yeah but I don't think I've done anything. Like, I don't really do anything. Like, the, the most cancelled thing that I did was I said that Grimes, the singer, might smell like coin. Because I did a video where I was like, I had to say what popular people smelt like. Like, why would I upload that video? But anyway, I said that Grimes smells like coins. And that yeah. actually comes from an Azalea Banks quote. Um, there's a whole story there. I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version. Okay. Basically, Azalea Banks was staying in Elon Musk's house. Yeah when he tweeted that 420 Tesla tweet, yes. which ended up being investigated by the something FCC, something <laughs> like that. It was. And while she was there, she was feuding with Grimes, who's yes. Elon Musk's girlfriend. And in the text that got leaked, as Ali Banks said that um, Grimes smells like a roll of nickels. Oh, so she smells like coins. And then that was in the back of my head. And I was like, maybe that's true. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the craziest stories for me. That Azalea Banks, Grimes, and Elon Musk yeah, thing that goes together. That. That's one of the things where I'm mm-hmm. like, nothing can be real. Like no. we're just, we're just really doing anything, aren't we? At this point, oh. whoever's writing the story is just like, what if we get these two people together, and then this one says this one smells like coins. <laughs> what happens then? Now we're just kind of like in the end game, and just all the story points are intersecting yeah. and stuff like that. So I'm sure Elon smells terrible. I don't I reckon it smells good. I reckon <laughs> Do you reckon? I don't think you can be successful and smell bad. Oh, I don't know. You can quote me on that. Because if you like if Jeff Bezos smells bad and he's like this multi billionaire, whatever, trillionaire? How many zillionaires? Too many. Okay, yeah. Like he's got several zeros in his bank yeah. account. But if you several, he's definitely got more than several. Maybe like several several. Yeah. I don't know. Seven to the power of seven. <laughs> but if I walked past Jeff Bezos and he smelled, I would tweet that straight away. <laughs> yeah. like, Jeff Bezos smells like But do you think he gets close enough to any other people? I don't think he'd be not close. Not convinced that he's real. Mm. I've never seen Jeff Bezos in person. I don't know why I would see him in person, <laughs> but I haven't, so I can't confirm that he's real with my own two eyes. Just like people can't confirm that I'm not an advanced AI. I'm not convinced. I don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing us in the future of tech? Biggest challenges in the future of tech? Oh, that's such like an interview technique of me when I was in job <laughs> interviews to repeat the question slowly so, I think I'm, <laughs> so that they give the idea that I'm really thinking about it when I actually am trying to like get an answer. But um, <laughs> I would say when you watch all those movies and games where the AI are taking over, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like a it's a movie and it's a TV show or whatever, but sometimes that genuinely scares me. Mm. Like, that comes back to the whole data thing with the amount of data that these companies have and the amount of technology and money that they have. If you have money and you have the data, you can do pretty much anything with that. Mm. I think at some point, we will run into problems with AI and that kind of thing. And Elon Musk sometimes tweets about that and everyone's like, ha, 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 Elon being funny on the timeline. But it generally concerns me. Especially the more research that I do, I'm like, this is not that far away. But it's also very cool. I would be friends with a robot. Yeah. As long as I'm friends with the robots, they're not going to hurt me. <laughs> and I would totally be friends with a robot. Yeah. It's if you're messing with the robots, that's on you. If the robots hurt you, I'm sorry for you, but it doesn't bother me. <laughs> what are some unexpected skills that you've picked up through... We'll start with YouTube. Mm. Unexpected skills you've picked up through YouTube. Unexpected skills. Um, even though I just said um... I think one of the things is public speaking because when I was just at uni doing engineering stuff, I wouldn't really do that much public speaking. I'd do like group assignments and I would dread it. My first group assignment at uni, one of the students, the mature age student in my group just got up and started singing Don't Cry For Me Argentina because we did an assignment on waste in Argentina. No. And this was not planned. He just got up and started singing <laughs> no, while I was talking no, and I was like, no, no. is this what the rest of my uni degree is going to be like? So that was a traumatic start to public speaking for me. But then... With YouTube and podcast and live streaming, I think I'm getting better at public speaking, where it's kind of got to the point where I can just get up and talk shit to anyone, which is such a nice skill to have compared to where I was before. Yeah, and a good skill for an engineer. Yeah, 
Yeah. Then thinking about, you know, the more STEM career, the software development, what's mm -hmm. and engineering itself, what skills do you think make you a good engineer? Hmm. It definitely depends on what field you're in, but I would say communication is a big one, especially in teams. Because one of the things that I found coming out of uni with other people who had just come out of uni, we didn't really know how to communicate properly in a team. Because yes, you would have group assignments at uni, but it's just not the same mm. as working in a professional environment with other people. Um, so being able to communicate with people with different experiences and different backgrounds just elevates the team because mm. everyone has something to bring. And if you can kind of maximize that output from everyone, you can get the best product. Yeah. So I would say probably communication. Cool. Mm. I like that. They're both communication things. Mm. Yeah. And although I have a million things we could probably talk about, we are going to come to the end and I'd love to ask for your favorite fun fact. Okay. So this fun fact, it's so stupid. Like it's, uh, it's the type of fun fact where I still don't really believe it. But anyway, so my fun fact is one octillion is the lowest positive number that has a letter C in it. How did you find it out? And have you checked? <laughs> Um, it came, I came up in like some random fact book and I Googled it and I was like, it does check out. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. No it was worries. An absolute joy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Particle Podcast. You can find Particle on all of the socials as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. Particle is powered by SciTech and everything we make is made in the wonderful science hub of WA on Wadjuk Country. <laughs>